myself again But it's the only way you're ever gonna learn your love back And it's all in the past Good evening, welcome to NUFC Matters with me, Steve Ray. It's Wednesday night, which means it's retro night, and I'm joined by George Mitchell, Neil Mitchell, Steve Wilkinson, Steve Hasty, and Stu Penman as we go over matches between Newcastle United and Portsmouth. And uh, as always, we'll have our regular features towards the end of the programme. Uh, celebrity Portsmouth fans, where the lads try to guess who uh, those famous faces are, and players that played for both clubs, and then the lads try to put and 11 together with some of the names that they've come up with. Uh, as always, we start uh, off with uh, George. Uh, looking back at games that the lads remember, maybe we're at, um, or just want to want to talk about. So, George, uh, over to you first for your first recollection of Newcastle-Portsmouth. Well, this is this going to be more like a Stu Penman uh, story. <laughs> it, yes, it involves a match, but the story, as far as I'm concerned, is, revolves around the trip. I think I've said this before, if I went away on a professional job and there was an opportunity to go to a match, uh, then I would go to the match if, if I possibly could. And this is on uh, Monday, the 2nd of May, 1988. And my uh, uh, boss, Arnold Emerson, my mentor, teacher, friend, whatever you call him, had uh, pre pre previously not long retired. And we were in the middle of negotiating a contract with the, the Royal Navy uh, with their research at Hasler, which is right next to, which is across the water from Portsmouth. And uh, when it came to the final negotiations of the contract and get the contract signed, Arnold had just said to the boss, well, what, just let George go. They, they all know him and, and, and he knows what, this, what the score is and, and let him uh, finish the deal, sign the contract. So off I went to Portsmouth on Sunday, leisurely trip down on the Sunday. And they put me in the, I think the Crown Plaza in Southsea, which is the big tall hotel on the beach uh, that you can see when you're in Portsmouth. Fantastic, uh, uh, fantastic view of the harbour. I mean, if, if any foreign powers want to work on our Navy, they just take the top two floors of that hotel and take all the pictures they wanted. <laughs> you know, they were you know, unabashed, un, un, un Unrivaled uh, uh, views of everything that we own. So I went down on the on the Sunday, ready for an early start on the Monday morning, and sure enough, out the hotel, when this black limousine pulls up with a with a naval driver to take me to Hasler, uh, and off I go and meet uh, all the uh, senior naval scientific service people uh, at Hasler, where they have all the experimental facilities, and. Uh, um, uh, John uh, John Brown was uh, was one of the leading ones, and uh, uh, they, they were really really friendly. And we got into negotiations very quickly, and uh, I could see that the whole thing was going well. Well, I my plan was that I would try and get the negotiations finished in the early afternoon, so I could get back to the hotel and have some tea, have a shower, and go to the football match at half past seven. Yeah, that was the plan, but we got to uh, lunchtime, and uh, in we went for lunch into the wardroom. Well, although Hasler's the shore base, they treat them like ships, so they have wardrooms and the toilets are the heads and all of that sort of thing, uh, just like you were on a ship. And uh, I went into the wardroom with with John Brown, and there was another scientific uh, civil service man there called uh, Bill Newton who knew me. And I put my foot in the wardroom and immediately Bill Newton says, oh, I know what George likes before lunch. Well, and what they thought when I used to go out with Arnold Emerson and and, uh, um, and the rest of the crew, that I was drinking gin. But what they didn't know was that Arnold used to make sure all I got was a glass of tonic water because I don't drink, I don't use alcohol. And uh, But Bill Newton, I know what George likes, and immediately pointed to this young Matlow called Adam, who with this big uh, jug, and I could see by the colour of it, it wasn't just gin; it was pink gin. It was it was that translucent Angus Juris bit as pink. And I thought, well, do I now say to this man who's about to sign a million pound contract, I don't want your alcohol. 
and I really don't want your alcohol, thank you very much. I don't drink, I don't use it. And it's one of the first times in my life that I've shied away from saying to somebody, no, I don't drink. And because I knew what was it possibly at the end of it. So I thought, well, you know, take it easy. There's plenty of things, technicals around the room. You can tip it in there if you don't want to drink it. But it wasn't that easy. So we, we had a, the pre-lunch drink and I had this, and it wasn't just a little uh, glass of gin, it was a schooner. It was, it was a thing that big that was full to the top. So um, I had a few mouthfuls. But the only trouble was every time I put the thing down, this Matlo Adam turned up with his jug and topped it up again. So I'd realised it was fatal leaving this this glass anywhere unprotected because I was just going to get more and more. And slowly but surely through lunch, uh, before lunch, we had a, a few more and then we had lunch. And I avoided wine, of course. Then we had uh, finished lunch and, and had a few more drinks afterwards, which meant that I had to uh, think about what I was going to do with my pink gin. Well, Adam knew what I was doing with my pink gin because he immediately brought it to us and stuck, stuck, stuck it down beside us. And uh, so I had a few more sips, a few more top-ups, and, and I, I was okay. I felt fine, and we, we finished lunch and went in to finish the uh, negotiations, and Bill Newton and uh, uh, Bob Brown signed the, uh, the contract for me to take back to the university, and I think it was worth about half a million pounds. And, uh, I felt quite quite great. Then eventually, um, they said, "Well, that, that's fine." And I thought, "Well, I'll get back to the hotel." So I went out, and the fresh air hit me like a like a uh, I don't know what like like a barn door, you know, wham! And of course, uh, this uh, naval driver that was driving the limousine that was taking us back to the hotel uh, kind of helped me into the back of the car. Uh, and I guess that I wasn't, uh, my feet, feet weren't exactly going where I wanted them to go. <laughs> so off we went back to the hotel. So the plan was I'd get back to the hotel, and about tea time I would ring Margie and say I was fine, uh, and then I'd go off to the match. Well, I got back to the hotel, uh, and in, in the hotel, but after that I can remember very little, other than waking up the next morning about, oh, about half ten, lying on the bed, covered with a bed cover, and absolutely not a stitch of clothes on, and uh, thinking, where the hell did last night go? You know, what happened to the match? You know? And uh, so I, I just uh, pulled myself together and, 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 and had a shower and got ready, and by about midday, I was able to ring Marjorie and say, hello, Pet, I'm fine, I'm all right. <laughs> and I won't tell you the sort of response I got, but never mind. Um, so uh, the match just disappeared. So I tried to find as much as I could about the game from, from people in the hotel and one or two who had been, particularly the staff who had been at the match. And uh, their report was it was it was a good game, which Newcastle won 2-1. Um, the uh, scorers were uh, 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 Scott, um, uh, Kevin Scott and uh, Anthony Loma. Now, there's a blast from the past. Aye. Loma was, was, was one of the goal scorers. And the scorer for um, Portsmouth, of course, was Quinn. And uh, the, the all the information I was from them and then later on from the radio and, and TV reports was it was it was a very good game, which uh, people had enjoyed very much. And it's interesting reading some of the names in the teams, uh, but even with the Portsmouth team, you know, it, uh, some of the some of the names that we don't even recognise from our team, but might recognise from other teams are uh, Dylan and Kevin Hall and uh, Kevin Horn and uh, McGuigan um, and McQuinn, of course. Uh, and, and our team: uh, Thomas Kelly, Cordwell, Kevin Scott, Neil McDonald, John Anderson, um, Mike, uh, Michael O'Neill, David McCreary, Paul Gascoigne. Darren Jackson and Anthony Loma. Um, and of course, our manager was Mac Fall, and uh, their manager was, was Alan Ball. So that was a, a game which is embedded in my memory, not really essentially because of the football, but because of the football I didn't see. Uh, because so once in my life, I didn't say to somebody, No, I don't want your alcohol. I'm, I'm quite happy. So despite all of that, um, 
I can't even look at a pink gin these days. So, so, <laughs> so there's the story. <laughs> Brilliant stuff. Brilliant stuff, George. Uh, nice to know you're human, George. <laughs> <laughs> well, there is one other time which I could save for another time. So never mind. Keep that for keep that for another time, mate. Yeah, we don't want yeah. people thinking you're the new George Best on the anniversary <laughs> where you want to be seventy. Uh, Steve Wilkinson. Right, well, it, my first game, it's, it's quite appropriate that I'm, I'm sharing my uh, my box in the top right-hand corner with uh, with Sir Bobby because it's it's a game uh, coming towards the end of his time with us uh, in October 2003, Newcastle uh, 3, Portsmouth 0. Uh, it was Bobby's last full season and, and, and quite a successful season in, in, in some ways because we, we got to the semi-final of the uh, Europa League. Um, and, and had quite a decent team in this game as well because Shea Given in goal, uh, Aaron Hughes at fullback, uh, Bernard, Andy O'Brien, Titus Bramble, Gary Speed, Lee Boyer midfield uh, with Jermaine Jennis, up front Shearer, uh, Lauren Robert, and Shola Amiobi, who is someone who I'm going to really talk about, about this game because uh, one, he made a significant contribution to the game, but it was thinking back to what you were talking about, Steve, last night with the uh, the, the the strikers like leaving, like Muto, who was, uh, and you, you, you sort of compared him and was put them on the pile with the people like Frank Pringle and and, and others who yeah. were on the wayside. And I, I always sort of saw Shola as a, I, I wasn't Shola's greatest fan, but I, he, to me he's always the benchmark centre striker, centre forward. You know, uh, he's the benchmark because he he didn't have a. A forty million price tag hanging around his neck, or any price tag, because he came through the ranks. Uh, he actually went to went to uh, went to school with, a, with one of my mate's sons in North Walbottle, and he came through the youths, got into the first team, and and, and was with with us for fourteen years. And he's his main part of his career, and played sort of nearly four hundred games, most of them sub, a lot of them got got seventy nine goals. So he's not prolific, but he he saw some pretty crucial goals in that time, and and. You know, memorable goals like Barcelona when he scored away in that game, and, uh, and another. He, 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 I think he's second to Shearer and the scorers in European games. Um, but in this this particular game, um, he, he made quite a, a significant contribution. He uh, he started the first goal, which was ultimately scored by Gary Speed with a with a shot from about the edge of the penalty area. But it it was started by a great run by Scholler up the left wing. Um, he uh, he used his his gangly legs and, and, and out outstripped the fullback, put a ball in the middle, square ball, flicked on by Lee Boyer to Lauren Robert, who laid it back to Gary Speed, who was coming in on the edge of the penalty area and banged it in the bottom corner. Um, the second goal on, on 25 minutes um, was was a one that VAR would have had a look at these days. It was a it was a shot by Boyer um, and, and a Portsmouth guy lying on the ground and he and he got it with his hand. Uh, we, you know, it was a. It was, I think even in the new days, it would probably be a penalty. But they would have had a look at it and found all sorts of angles and various ways to to consider whether it was a penalty. But it, it was awarded anyway, and and, and Shearer banged it in the net. And and then the third goal was was actually scored by Shaw himself, and uh, it was a it was a cross from the from the right and quite a, a strange headed goal. Shaw didn't score a lot of headers for for a big lad. I don't think he was that great in the air, but he, he this one he. He sort of stooped down. He was about 15 yards out in the middle of the goal, and it, uh, Shaka Hislop was in goal for them. Um, and uh, it, it sort of looped over Shaka's head, hit the underside of the barn, bounced, and, and went in the net. So uh, that that made the game three uh, nil. Um, Harry Redknapp was manager of Portsmouth at the time, and, and they had some decent players on their team. As I say, Shaka was in in goal. Teddy Sheringham. Uh, coming towards the end of his, his main times was was there. Andy Fay, who played for us as well. Steve Stone, a name from from our past as well as his coach and uh, former Liverpool Patrick Berger. They were some of the players playing for for Portsmouth that day. Um, but it was a it was a good win. It was uh, a steady season. But as you as you know, I, I was sort of I think Stu was going to talk later on about the. The 1992 game when we uh, well, there's a lot of happened in 1992 that we're going to talk about. But the uh, 1992 game going forward, uh, when we were uh, on the good run, was the uh, was the sort of start of the, the glory years, I think. And and and, and sadly, this game um, was was part of the sort of coming towards the end when when uh, the season after that when Bobby Bobby left early on, and and uh, things started going downhill once Graham Stoners came in and. 
we know the rest is history. And so it, it was kind of the end of the what would have been sort of 12 years or so of, 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 of fantastic football and, and relatively relative success, uh, although we never won anything. But uh, So that was my first game, uh, October 2003, with the 3-0. Okay, great stuff. Uh, Stu, over to you, mate. Well, the first game I'm going to talk about is in April 1992. It's probably the most underestimated game or most important game in, the, I believe, in the club's history. We were two games away from being relegated to what was the old third division. It's the For the new supporters, it's the ones the Mackens are in now. <laughs> Newcastle had never been in there, and in 1980, 1982, you know, uh, sorry, 1992 was our centenary year as well. So it would have been the first time in the full hundred years. And uh, I'll just type up before when George mentioned about Ping Jin. I let hold on, is it that way? Yeah, that guy Aye. there will tell us about our encounters with Ping Jin recently. Uh, but that's when it, when it goes out a bit. So I just turned 18. And although we, we had players that were all we all liked <laughs> the old side, we somehow managed to find ourselves in the Maya. I did wrong there, didn't I? <laughs> in, in the Maya. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, because I could legally drink, um, you know, you feel like you're a man about town. I met my mates in Dobson's before the game. I don't know if it's still there now, Dobson's, but we met yeah. in there. Long gone, that uh, is. Long gone. Is it? No, but it just be perfect. I had my white jeans on and a pair of suede gazelles, and I thought, you know, you're looking right up right here. And I uh, had six pints, two trebles, and then off we went up to the match. Now, I was only young then; I, I couldn't drink that much, so we're just going up to the up to the game. <laughs> and you know, it was people say like uh, it's palpable, you know, the tension in the air, but it wasn't just tension; it was nervousness. It was the trepidation. And I turned around and I, and I said to the Hebrew mail, I says, do you know what? We could get relegated today. If no results went against us, we could actually be relegated today. Do you know what he said? He says, well, if we do, if we do, I'll blame that Steve Wraith, really. For those of you watching, uh, it's been a running theme on Twitter for the last uh, 48 hours. I blame Steve. And there's been some funny ones. We'll cover that on the Three Amigos. (laughs) So, anyway, uh, not the first mistake I made with uh, drinking and all that. You get to the ground, then I forget about the infamous Gallagher Boggs. So I've got these white jeans on with the new suede gazelles and that was the last day I wore them. You know, there was it's just like I had the grey socks on and they were just trash. But anyway, in, in the game, uh, the fans did their best to, to get behind the team, uh, but the team must have been as nervous as us. You know, it was it would have been the first time in our history that we could have went down. There was a couple of chances that went either way and white jeans probably wasn't the best colour to wear when Portsmouth were on the attack. But then David, David Kelly, Ned Kelly, scored that goal. Uh, and I was standing in the Gallagher's. And if you could draw a line from where the ball went into the corner, I was, it was as if he was shooting it directly at us, but I was a bit higher up. Uh, and it went in slow motion. You know, it was just, just when it left his foot, you're just waiting for it to hit the back of the net. And, and the relief, the roar. you know, it still, it still lives with us. And to me, it's, to this day, it's still one of my most favourite games. Uh, and then you're waiting for full time. You know, you've got like 15 minutes to go so for full time and you keep checking the scoreboard because mobile phones weren't about then. You keep looking at the scoreboard and you think, this thing stopped, hasn't it? The time just went slower and slower and slower. And then eventually we got the win and as it happened, it ended up being enough because the next week was Leicester, which is a game that Mitch come on earlier uh, in this series. But the, the, the bedlam when the goal went in uh, will live with me forever. And, you know, everyone was one. And that genuinely was in Newcastle United. Uh, I can't remember the crowd, but it must be now on 30,000 there. And I think you feel like the, you know, you had it on the TV, like it was as if the crowd sucked that Kelly shot into the net. You know, rather, you know, and the people from the other side, the, the old stand or the West Stand, who were blowing it in. Uh, and it just would the beautiful noise when you hear it rustling at the back of the net and then the, the raw split second later, it, 
it's days like that that make you remember why you love Newcastle United and why you always support. So that's my first recollection of Portsmouth. Great one as well. Uh, great, great recollection that uh, one I remember for uh, for the rest of my life. Um, Neil, over to you, mate. Well, I can back that up about the nervousness in the town that day, and I think everybody would probably share that. That when you got to that that game, it was uh, we didn't realise. I think Tom Tom's just put that across. Tom Lynch has just put that across the bottom. I don't think we did really realise the enormity of that result. Probably until midway through the second half of Leicester the next week, when it dawned on the shit. If we hadn't won last week, we would have been in big trouble. Um, and that that season was the first season me and one of the lads got a season ticket. And you couldn't stand it. The scoreboard we won. You had to be an empathic next to it. And we used to dive across at the gate where the cop I used to stand. And that was the first game we couldn't get across in to join everybody because everybody was just on high alert for the full day. It was just that tense and the relief, the massive relief when that ball went in. Cracking. And in such an important game. Anyway, my my first game... Tell me about the pink gin, Mitch. Well, the pink gin, it's become a ritual when Stu, Stu comes over. We'll go and have a bite to eat in a, a restaurant called Prego's in the Media Retana and they've got a very fantastic gin bar. And and so we always start off with the pink gins uh, when Stu arrives in uh, arrives in Dubai. However, we did get a, isn't it? which refreshing, but we did get a rather large surprise with the bill this time. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, we digress. Um, somebody's already drink. That's what they were. Oh, was, was, was that what it worked out at in the end? Twenty-two quid aye. a drink. Twenty-two quid. Aye. Aye. That, that was a rather. Yes. yes, somebody's card got a bash in that day. Um, <laughs> anyway, my my first game is one somebody's already mentioned. Somebody asked me this week what is Sporting Newcastle United's like, and I said it's like it's like owning our beagle. And they're like, "What do you mean?" I says, "Well, everything's great, and he's lovely, and he 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 loves everything, and he's such a great dog." And then you come home one day and find that he's destroyed the legs of the dining table, shit in the cat's bed, and eating a pack of, mm-hmm. pack of six triple A batteries and need a... Well, is he going? Is he, he's, he's, he's got a phone call. He's gone. Mm-hmm. Is he back? And, and, and that's actually United's like. Ah, sorry, somebody's just trying to call us. I see. Um, I, I feel that's what had happened. Right, go on. Carry on, mate. We'll um, ask you for a bit. So, so, so you, you, the Beagle does everything and then you forget it two days later and you still really love it. And that's what supporting Newcastle is like. Um, and this game, this game sticks out in my mind because this was the game when we realised Sam Allardyce really was a fraud. Uh, and it's the, the the 4-1 loss at home to Portsmouth in the November 2017. Um, he'd, he'd spoke himself up all week telling me he had a tactical surprise for Redknapp coming. Um, and he did. He changed and played a back five, which looked really good after six minutes when we went 1-0 down. And even better after nine minutes when we went 2-0 down. And then when we went 3-0 down on 11 minutes, uh, and the Brazilian centre-back, Kassapa, had been sat on his backside three times, um, it really didn't look very clever at all. And did he make a change? Not at all. Stuck with it. Didn't do anything to change the game. Portsmouth arrived in good form. Harry Redknapp had obviously had an agent friend at the previous season's African Cup of Nations because he had half the best players of Africa in his team. Um... And and they really turned we inside out. And we, we've got a goal back on 16 minutes. Now, there's, there's another story with this. Is My mate Freddie was in the TA at the time. And he was late getting into the match. So he came into the match on, on about quarter of an hour. Celebrated the goal going in and then couldn't believe it when everybody wasn't quite so happy as they should have been. And everybody was saying, well, we're 3-1 down, mate. And he's like, oh, F off. He <laughs> thought we were winding him up. It took him till half time to realise that we weren't winding him up. We were 3-1 down. There was no scoreboard for him to look at. There was no to do. Um, but even though we got that goal back, we were never really in the game. And then we went 4-1 down with this free kick that went in directly from somewhere between the corner of the 18-yard box and the touchline, if I remember, right? It just evaded everybody. And for some reason, after the match, Allardy seemed to blame Rosenthal for that goal and pin the defeat on Rosenthal. Well, Rosenthal hadn't even started the game. He'd brought him on as a sub. He was hiding behind the play- his players. He refused to 
say that he'd made a bad choice and just it stood out. Everybody, it was the first time you seen him blink in charging Newcastle United that the result and the performance were terrible and he wouldn't have it and he wouldn't take admittance for it. And it was an absolutely awful day. After 11 minutes, we were 3-0 down. I think I'll give them the first goal. I think it was somebody by the name of Paramore or something. No Paramore? Yeah. African fullback or French fullback. Yeah. Um, and if I remember right, it was an absolute screamer, mind, which I suppose you've got to give them that. But then the other two goals, I think it was Ben Johnny and was a Johnny Tucker. Um, who I think it was he, he, he on loan from Inter or something like that. Um, and, and they just turned Kasapa inside out. And that was when we realised Kasapa were really, really, really bad, you know? Um, and, and to be fair, I don't think Allardyce ever came back from that because the fan base had worked them out. Yeah, I would agree. Horrendous game to be at as well. Steve Hasty, your first recollection? Right, well, it's it's not a recollection of my own, but it's a recollection of a relative. I had a mum's cousin, John, John Maguire from Wall's End. John was a, a powder hall sprinter uh, who, right up until his retirement, was still visiting the powder hall as a timekeeper. And uh, he was one of these guys who could tell some great stories. And the story he told me was about a trip in... February 1956, that he made down to Portsmouth to watch Newcastle. And I was like, I remember sitting there going, you cannot have gone all the way to Portsmouth. He goes, oh, no, no, we did. He says, we got, uh, we got, we got time off work. He says, I worked, I worked in the morning, got the afternoon off. He says, and we've got a, we've got a coach down at Portsmouth. Now, I, I, God, what time would you have to leave work to get to Portsmouth for what was a seven o'clock kickoff uh, midweek? Um but he did it, and he said it was one of those trips where he says that you, like, they then travelled back overnight, and then he went straight. They dropped them off at work, and he went straight to work. He worked in the stores at the at the, at the RBI, um, like the NHS stores. But the the thing that that struck me, as well as the fact the journey must have been amazing uh, to travel, you know, and I, I hadn't appreciated that people travelled in those days. Now I found out about ten minutes ago, well, just before the start of the show, that George was actually at this game. But the reason I'm talking about the game, it was it was it was it was not special. It was a two nil win. Um, Bill Curry and Vic Keeble scored. It was fifteen thousand there. Um, but it was the first ever game, officially, within the football league, to be played under floodlights. And uh, I, I thought I thought floodlights had been around for years and years. Um, but it turned out that all the way through from from the 1930s onwards, and even before that, the football authorities were not keen on, on playing games under floodlights. And those grounds that did have lights, for example, in the earlier in the, early in the time, yeah, the, the FA had said you could play FA Cup games under lights. Um, but you had to have an agreement between both clubs before you could actually switch the lights on. I don't know how that worked. I don't know whether there were not many night games or what, you know. But I just, I just found this amazing. So anyway, Newcastle United played the first ever football league game under floodlights. At Fratton Park in 1956. Now, the other little piece to the story is that you could, you could, the whole plan of putting, of allowing teams was put forward by Sunderland the year before. They put the proposal forward to the Football League and said, we think that you should have uh, games played under floodlights. But what, what the Football League decided was with the FA, you could only have it in cup games. And only if it was, oh, the other one was if a game had been postponed, you could then play a game under floodlights again if both clubs agreed. But it was only if, the, like I say, if the game had been postponed previously and it was to concertina things in. So there's a lot, it just shows you, you know, you talk about the governance of the game and we talk about the, you know, the people who make decisions and stuff like that. Even back in the 50s, we had. We had people in Blazers sitting in the Football League making decisions that were arbitrary, that had absolutely no common sense built around them, you know. Um, but that, that that was the game. And ironically, of all things, the game nearly didn't start. So John nearly travelled all the way down to watch Newcastle play. And the game was very, very nearly called off by, of all things, a power cut. And managed to fix the floodlights that they actually got the game playing as well. So that that that's my recollection. I wasn't there before anyone asked. It was 1956. It was before I was born, but it's a story that's that's lingered within the family from from my mum's cousin John, who's sadly not with us now. But uh, I just thought, you know, a little bit of history, a little bit of Newcastle United, 
um, and a little bit of the, uh, the idiosyncratic ways of the Football League and the Blazers and how they run football then and still run it badly today. <laughs> Great stuff. Uh, shout out to our sponsors, uh, Spider VPN, uh, for all your internet security. They've been with us for the last few months now. Uh, just Google Spider VPN and they can help you with your internet security, um, protect your passwords, and that kind of thing. Also, a big shout out to uh, the home of Sir Bobby, of course, who's up in the corner today, skipsandbins.com. Skipsandbins.com. Telephone number 0800 254523. Email inquiries at skipsandbins.com. Website site www.skipsandbins.com easy contract pay, uh, free and pay as you go uh, waste collection and uh, also a big shout out to John at qtechshop.co.uk makers of pool tables and snooker tables in Walls End in Newcastle and the makers of our memorabilia and t-shirts etc you can get a t-shirt that's the most popular one at uh, our website nufcmatters.com pop onto there if you want to get a t-shirt a hoodie a cup whatever and uh, last but by no means least, a big shout out to John at Jab Signature, who makes all of our flyers. And uh, he makes uh, all the flyers for the show as well. And obviously came up with this uh, little beauty to announce that the Three Amigos is no more, but it's now the Fab Four. Keith Patterson joining us full time. And uh, the Fab Four is the name of the new show on a Friday. And this weekend, we are joined on Friday night at 5.30 by Ben Jacobs, which is what a lot of people have asked. They'd like to see Ben and Keith on the same show. Well, both have agreed to do it, so that should make for a very interesting Friday night with all your usual regular slots on there as well. And uh, don't forget, if you're a first-time visitor to the channel, then simply subscribe by uh, clicking the Newcastle Legends badge down in the bottom right-hand corner. And that's it. You hit the subscribe button, you can subscribe for free. Uh, you'll get notifications as well if you set reminders for each show. And uh, hit the thumb up to like the video tonight, please. And click share to share it to your other social media. And hit the comments box uh, to chat to like-minded Newcastle fans in the chat. And uh, always plenty of nice folk uh, down there having a chat. Okay, George, we're back to you now, mate, for your uh, second recollection. Thank you. Um in the match, Steve just talked about um, how was I there. Well, um, I was on the verge of signing up to become uh, an apprentice within the university. And uh, the university very kindly let me stay at school until we finished our county cup run, which we uh, eventually won. So it was it was actually in the 57 before I actually signed for the university. But when I was uh, doing this, doing some of the interviews, they mentioned they were starting a project at Portsmouth with some Leander-class frigates and they needed to set up a lot of gear. They needed hands, people carrying uh, batteries and things like that because in those days, they weren't, yeah, the, like, the batteries for all the electronic gear weren't little things. They were big car batteries. You know, there were 12-volt car batteries, lead-acid lead batteries. So they needed uh, lots of hands just to carry things. And, and so I got the opportunity to go down and do that. Uh, and one of the bonuses was to just happen to be this floodlight match, which everybody went to as well. So it was a, it was a, an interesting coincidence when when Steve mentioned it. So so there we go. Uh, my second recollection, of course, our Neil's just killed at Stone Dead because he's chosen the one that I was going to talk about as well. Uh, but uh, not entirely because um, Portsmouth uh, in our family at the time in in the. Uh, not that time, but in the early 50s, 60s, when, when we talked about football at home, one of the clubs that regularly popped up was Portsmouth, of course, in names like uh, Jimmy Dickinson and the two Froggard brothers and people like that uh, were well known in, in our household as, as some of the Newcastle players because they were um, internationals that had a great name and they played for um, uh, uh, England together and all the rest of it. And uh, so it, Portsmouth was always a, and it was fairly high on the discussions uh, at home when I was very, very young. Um, now, the reason I chose the game in 4-1 uh, defeat was that we, we'd enjoyed some super football uh, ourselves, but then suddenly to find another team come uh, and do to us what we'd been doing to other people was more than painful. It was absolutely excruciating. And a 50, nearly 52,000 crowd, crowd there to watch it. And uh, they didn't just beat us. They, they, they tore us to shreds. How it only stayed forward, I don't know. 
and bearing in mind that the one was an own goal from Sol Campbell anyway. Um, but they, they absolutely tore us to shreds. Uh, and uh, certainly the, the style of the, of the, of the defeat uh, left an impression on, on, on me. Um, Allardyce, the bit that Neil said about Allardyce, well, Allardyce was always a, a fake to me. I would really uh, didn't uh, see anything in, in, in him at all when he came. And some of the stuff he talked about, sports science and, and so on, it wasn't long before you realised he was talking through a, uh, the back of a, a, an envelope. It was rubbish. Uh, and, and for once, I did see um, some of the, the positives in Redknapp because this, this team played uh, football of a, of a very high quality. And Wyler scored four. Everyone from the fullbacks, uh, Johnson and uh, Palmore, the, 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 the African player, and, and Diop and, and uh, Cranshaw and, and Utaki and Bemanji, they, they all were firing shots from, from all angles. And uh, Steve Harper had to be metal to save her from getting a really tough thrashing, um, really hard thrashing. Um, but then when I looked down our team as well, um, the Brazilian centre-half Capaccio, yeah, yeah what, a, what a waste of space he turned out to be. Um, but there were there were people who should have known, uh, play, played better in that team. I mean, from Harbert, the Cabacho, Enrique, Amdi Fai, Stephen Taylor, Barton, and Zogia, uh, Milner, Butt, Owen, and Smith. Well, that's that's not not a not an eleven that you would uh, uh, say was a slouch team, uh, but they were made to look a slouch team by by that particular Portsmouth team. So Neil chose that game, didn't hasn't really uh, um, upset me in, in that sense. Just that uh, I enjoy the fact that um, a team came and took us apart with real football, is how I would describe it. And and you know later in the game when he seen Mendes and Carno come on and and, uh, and tear us apart, uh, Rosenthal came on and the other subs were. Uh, Emery and uh, Martins, uh, I don't care who we'd put on that day, um, Portsmouth were just up for it and playing really high-quality stuff. So, yes, it was a game to remember, but it was a, it was a defeat that you remember because it was it was a very sore one to take. Yeah, very sore indeed. Steve Wilkinson, your next game? Yeah, well, I'm going back to uh, 1983, which was the, the promotion season in, in a... Fantastic performance down at Portsmouth. I didn't. I wasn't there at the game myself, uh, and uh, I've, I've actually never been to Fratton Park. I've, I've been to Portsmouth only only once with work. But uh, the um, you, you kind of forget that in those days you didn't you didn't see the match. You know, we take for granted. We've seen every game on the telly this season, and and uh, in those days it was about reading about it in the football pink, or uh, and then the, the Sunday Sun, and then you'd get to watch it on a Sunday afternoon on on. Uh, on a shoot, or sometimes won the big match, which was the sort of national ITV thing. Um, but we, we, before we managed to see that game on the Sunday afternoon, and you can see it on YouTube now, it's it's it's, it's a, a game of probably we we would be arguably the entertainers at that time. And I'm sure had had Keegan not jacked in at the end of that season when we got went up that the, the having the likes of Beardsley and Waddle and and him and the team plus all the rest of them that were coming through at that time, we, we would have been the entertainers then in in the in the in the first division as it was then, but this game um, was was memorable for two goals from Bielsi, two goals from from Keegan, and and also a significant performance by Chrissy Waddle, who uh, contributed to making a couple of the goals. But the the memorable goal, I mean, we we actually took the lead uh, in in the first couple of minutes with it with a goal started by a Waddle run down the down the left wing. Um, he uh, he put the ball through and and. Uh, Right across the goal, and, and and Keegan knocked it in on the far post. But the second goal, right on half time, was the was the memorable goal of the game. Uh, I, I suppose you could arguably call it the the, the Beardsley shuffle. Um, Keegan went down the left, he chipped it in the box. Beardsley picked it up, flicked it past the keeper, and then almost went to the goal line. And, and uh, it was probably about six yards out on the goal line, and there was two defenders inside him. And he and he did some fantastic close control without the ball crossing the line. And then they're all beating the two defenders on the, on the goal line, 
um, before getting just inside the post. And he, and, he, and he tapped it in from about a yard. But the, the close control, which we've seen Beardsley do thousands of times, is, is the memorable thing. And anybody who saw that goal will, will remember from that game. So we're 2-0 up. Um, Portsmouth pulled one back. And then uh, we had another slick move um, five minutes later, in about uh, 65 minutes or so. Uh, Beardsley flicked it on on the, on the halfway line. Keegan burst through with great pace into the box with a shrugged off the, the defender and, and Beardsley with his pace having flicked the ball on caught up with uh, with with Keegan got inside the box and, and he and he had a uh, Keegan laid into his path and he slotted it in and then uh, another five or six minutes later there was another surgeon run from Waddle sort of very similar to the sort of thing we saw from Willick on on Saturday a straight line run just inside the penalty area had a shot himself initially that the keeper parried. And then it, it broke to the edge of the penalty area and he sort of swung around, put a cross into the far post and Keegan came in, volleyed it in. So uh, we won that game 4-1 and it's, it's, it's a one that certainly when you, when you look at, I think there's quite an extensive highlights of that game on YouTube and it's worth, it's worth looking at them just to, to see how fantastically well we played that day. And, uh, you know, obviously as that season ended, we, 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 we got up into the first division, but sadly Keegan left and, uh, you know everything. You know we had a we had a few years up at that time, but never never the same team. I think as as played that day. Um, Arthur Cox was manager at the time. We had Kevin Carn goal, John Anderson, Kenny Wharton at fullback, David McCreary, um, Keegan Beardsley, Chris Worrell, Terry McDermott, John Ryan in the midfield, and then the central halves, uh, Glenn Mora, obviously who we've talked about with a, with a special show the other week in memory of him. Jeff Clark in the in the fullback in the centre back positions. So a strong team, and uh, you know a, a great performance from the lads that day. That's my second game. Yeah, good stuff, Mitch. Aye, sorry about before. My phone overheated again. Ah, um, God, there it is. It's always a reference to the temperature. Bloody nightmare. <laughs> you know what it is? It's it's quarter court tenant quarter tenant night thirty seven bloody degrees outside, not a whiff of breeze. It's just ridiculous. Anyway, um, second game. Um, I tell you, what I, do, I remember this for two reasons. One, a spectacular own goal, which I'll come to later. Um, and this game was all about Mickey Quinn. And I don't think on this show we've talked about him enough, perhaps, about actually how good a striker he was. And oh, he gets slated for being overweight and unfit and. But by God, he was a good striker. I knew where the back of the net was. And in this game, it showed in the first goal, he's one of those strikers who strikers know where to be in the box. And that means sometimes they know when to move, but it means sometimes they know when just to stand still and let everybody else move around them. And I, I tell you, the other striker who had an ability like that was Kevin Phillips at the Magnums. He was another one sometimes scored his best goals when actually he didn't move at all. He just knew not to move. He knew to just wait and let the defenders move around him. Um, and so the first goal on this was was actually because um, the commentator made, a, made a, a pithy comment. If you go back and watch the highlights, you, you find it on YouTube, easy. Um, about he, Mick Quinn comes out of the box and makes a run in the, into the corner to collect the ball. And the commentator, well, I think maybe Clive Tilsley, if I, if I remember right, makes a pithy comment about Quinn uh, popping up in an unusual place for him, you know. Um, but if you look, he was the centre of the move and he played into the box. But then, instead of going on into the six-yard box, he sort of hangs around on the corner of the 18-yard box and suddenly the ball comes to him. He's in total open space. First touches to turn it around. The second touches with his left foot and it's in the bottom left-hand corner of the goal. And it's a crack and finish. And that's the other thing about McQuinn we forget. We forget he, he could he could hit them with both feet. He didn't care. As long as he had a crack and goal, he would put his leather through it. It didn't matter whether it was right foot or his left foot. Um, and, and when I say gifted, the only player I forgive for being exceptionally one-footed is Lionel Messi, because that foot is exceptionally talented. But if I can be two-footed, anybody can be. Um, and I am. And 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 so it frustrates me. And certainly McQuinn was. His second goal was a typical McQuinn goal, where a number nine should be running in from penalty spot at the edge of the six yard box and not quite the tap in, but directed around the keeper two 0 
game was dead and buried. But then Pompey were given a fantastic glimmer of hope by John Anderson, who scored the most amazing bullet header into the back of the young net trying to cut across out. And again, if you look at it, it was actually when I've seen when I've seen it but when I've seen it back, um, it was actually a better header than I realized. You know, it was just an absolute pile driver into the top corner that I keep back and doing out and about. But no harm done. We won the game. Um, yeah, I think it was much needed as well because uh, I think we'd, we'd sort of been in and amongst the promotion race and then dropped off. We'd, we'd had a, a, a little poor runner form and that got we back on back on track again. Now, unfortunately, we know how, um, you know, that season ended as well. Um, but yeah, that was the that was the second game and it was, it was all about Mick Quinn. Yeah, okay. Well, I would have took in the window of Richard Seals there because I was going to talk about a game where Mick Quinn scored twice for us against Portsmouth. <laughs> so we will continue to talk about Mick Quinn. It's five months after the game I just said when we nearly got relegated to the World Third Division. Uh, Quinn had been injured. Now, from... Just in that five months, Keegan had produced his first managerial magic trick, I suppose, by keeping us up. But even then, we all bought into what he was trying to do. He got us, we got him, and he was like a messiah-type figure. Uh, and we trusted him when he let players go that were fans' favourites. He brought in ex Magnums, Venison, Bracewell, and there was no, no grumbling about it. Then we had Rob Lee, brought in Beresford from Portsmouth who we were signed and it was like well it was a different team but the the atmosphere was different and the nervousness trepidation tension had been raised by I suppose joy belief hope and this is all down to one man and it was this is the season it's probably one of my favourite seasons actually the promotion season the 92-93 because we, we, it was the start of such a magical ride and it was infancy of the entertainers. You know, if we're using three words I had for entertainers, it was exhilarating, swashbuckling and mesmeric. You know, but this was at yeah. its very start. Mick Quinn had been injured and he come back into the team. Uh, and, you know, he was a fan's favourite. He'd scored a bucket load of goals a couple of years before that. And the, the first goal, remember, he's playing against his former team and it's always the same. It normally happens to us, doesn't it? The, the ex-player nice. scores against us. But this time, uh, young Nash, Leclerc, uh, put a ball in with his left foot from, uh, crossed in with his left from the left side. And it was screaming just to be headed. It was such a perfect cross. If you're a centre forward, I don't know if anyone can remember it. But if not, try and look it up. Because I'll always remember because uh, is a year older than me. And I used to watch them. You know, remember the dealers and they had all the youngins playing? So yeah, I was more invested in the, some of the lads I used to play at Newcastle Boys with. So I was more invested in watching the younger Newcastle players than like, the new stars that were coming up at the time because we weren't used to starting really, really were. So this ball from Clark and I'm left-footed. Uh, I can't keep with me right as well, Mitch, but I, I am predominantly left-footed. I've seen. And it was, uh, it was a, yes, you know, it was a quality cross, seriously, and... At the time, there wouldn't have been many better headers of the ball than McQuinn waiting on the end of it. And he, he just put it away. Uh, then Ned Kelly, his partner in crime for the start of that season, was uh, he, he scored just a typical Ned Kelly goal. He got put through, evaded one defender, and he made it look easy where he just nonchalantly like, chips it but with a bit of power into the corner. Just out of the keeper's reach, he scored a load of goals like that for us. Another underestimated player in our history. Then, uh, after just big note, Dave Kelly, he missed the second half, he missed a sitter, an absolute sitter. And to this day, I still don't know how he missed it. Um, Mick Quinn then had one ruled offside, which I'm sure VR nowadays would have reprieved him because I really can't say how he's offside. Until Mitch mentioned the fact that he doesn't move and everyone, everyone runs around him. So it is possibly with standing in offside position and then, and then all the players started like, getting back to Markham. But he put a crack and headed away again, but it was disallowed. Uh, but not to be outdone, he got a cross in there for, for his second goal, for his brace. That goal looked more offside than the one that got disallowed, but he smashed the roof of the net from about six yards. Pompey got a late uh, goal, consolation goal, make it 3-1. Probably the last three one we had actually, <laughs> you know, thinking about it. But that was the start of our 
mesmeric rise, I suppose, when we went on that. It was an 11 game unbeaten run at the start of that season, or in fact, a winning run, not unbeaten run. And, you know, the rest is hopefully our better days, or we have better days to come. But I just love that season from where we were this season before to where we finished 12 months later. It's, you know, it, it'll live with all of us who were, who were lucky enough to experience it. Yeah, great stuff. Great stuff. Uh, Steve Hasty, your final recollection. Final recollection. I'm going to go back to 2005 2006 season. Um, before we talk about the game, I'll just set the scene. Uh, that season, uh, first six games of the season, we uh, were adrift in 19th place after the first six when he had two points. Um, things did start to pick up as we got close to Christmas week. Uh, and at that point, we seemed to. We seemed to click. It was the day before we birthed the 17th of December, and we went down to West Ham. Um, Michael Owen scored a hat trick. Shira scored, beat them 4 2, and everybody thought, This is it. This is the. No, I think it was only the third time that Shira and, and Owen had scored in the same game. Um, but it looked as though things were starting to move on. We then lost away at Liverpool, we lost away at Spurs, which everybody remembers that was when Owen did his metatarsal in. Um, after colliding with Robinson in goal, uh, we drew with Borough, we lost to Fulham, we lost Blackburn, we lost Man City. Um, we had we had a poor game in the Cup, uh, but Shearer did score, uh, I think it was Mansfield. But we got, to the, we got to the beginning of February, and after all those runs, we're sitting there in 15th position. And as I say, we'd, we'd lost Borough, Fulham, Blackburn, Man City, and Drew, sorry, Drew at Borough, lost the others, at which point the chairman decided enough was enough. You can't have a, you can't have a manager that's allowing a team to be languishing in 15th place and losing five out of six games. So he sacked Sunus. So Sunus was gone. Today, you can go 22 games without a win or 20 <laughs> out of 22 and you'll still survive. But he made the jump. He made it. And uh, that was him gone. Um and as I say, Shearer had only scored once um, since since the since the, the game when Owen scored his hat trick. So we goes into this game, and Shearer has been sitting, and he's on two hundred goals, and we we all know what happened. Um, and Zogbia scores after forty one minutes, one nil, and then we get to the sixty fourth minute, and we've been willing. I mean, because of the run that we've been on, everyone was willing Shearer to score and. There was a totally different atmosphere in the ground to what we'd had previous, probably simply because Sunus had gone. Sunus was sat. Finally, we got rid of the, we got rid of that, that mess of a, of a of a manager and what had happened previously in the cup and everything else. And and we had Glenn Roder in the in the dugout, and sixty fourth minute comes and I think the whole of Tyneside was willing Shearer to break that record, and uh, you just think. That, Beautiful clearance, got like cleared by the keeper. Um, given ball drops to Shira, he flicks it back, back, and he turns. It lands at Amiobi's feet, and Amiobi, as he could do, we mentioned him before, Steve. You talked about him there, and as he could do, he could he could do things that he didn't expect, and he just passes this lovely little back heel straight into the path of Shira, who's running alongside a player that we eventually signed in O'Brien, and. He taps the ball and he squeezes it through the keeper's legs in the back of the net. Now, we're doing about you, lads. I know you were probably all at the game, but I think from the 64th minute to the end, I think it was probably the most emotional I've been in a game. The noise was amazing. It, the chanting that went on from that moment onwards, uh, the sheer exuberance and excitement that... and joy that Shearer was showing after scoring that goal was just reflected right the way around the ground. It was the most amazing atmosphere. Um, and it, it, the hairs were on the back of your neck, weren't they? You know, your, your, your arms, your, your pins and needles, you were, you were just, it was just amazing. It was just, just absolutely fantastic. Um, and, it, and, and, you know, that, that, that for me, uh, we ended up winning 2-0. It was Shearer. We already knew it was going to be Shearer's last season, but he he done he finally got the record. And I remember rightly, I think it was it was uh, Jackie Milburn's widow who turned round and said, "You know what, Jackie would was delighted. He would have been delighted that Alan broke his record." And then she tagged on the end, 
because Jackie had scored in three cup finals or two cup or won three <laughs> cup finals for Newcastle. So he still held that record that was never going to be, you know, let's face it, was, Alan was never going to get his, his career was over. But uh, obviously he carried on and he, he managed to get five more goals before the end of the season. But that for me, um, that game, the emotion, the last hour or the last, well, the last half hour um, and the noise and that was that was what I'd love to see back at St James's Park again. That that atmosphere, um, if you could recreate it and bottle it and just open it every Saturday, it would be absolutely fantastic. Yeah, Ferry Hill Mag says Stu and Mitch look like they've been on a weekender. Well, they have <laughs> <laughs> with matching t-shirts. Aye, matching t-shirts. Yeah, they didn't oh, miss the opportunity. Courtesy of John at QTech. Thanks, mate. Good fellas t-shirts, I love it, great stuff lads Okay, as always some great recollections We'll finish the show off uh, by doing the uh, Let's go with the um, the celebrity fans first uh, Not many, uh, it has to be said And certainly not many that's going to uh, trip the trip the lads up I think we'll go with this guy because he is a celebrity uh, you'll, get a, you'll get a point for guessing his name oh, hi. John Portsmouth FC Westwood what a fantastic name. Uh, bumped into him in the Black Bull once. Uh, he came yes. into the Black Bull when we used to do uh, talkings there, uh, Steve Hasty. Do you remember? Right. We did, I you did, I what a character. Was he was he a was he a lawyer or something or a solicitor or something daft like that? He said, I think, and I could be wrong, he sells antique books. Oh right, right. It keeps him in his hair, I think. Um <laughs> unbelievable, unbelievable set of locks that I'm Clearly jealous. Uh, okay, the guy, the guy on the left here, Ian Dark. Ian Dark. Yeah, Ian Dark. Of course, ah, huh? you didn't know that Portsmouth fan. No, he know. was one of the main shareholders of the Pompey Trust when they resurrected the club. There you go. Good well, knowledge. Got George on mute. We'll need him if there's some older ones there. We need George. Oh no, him was Fred Danish. Fred, Fred Danish, man. Fred How? How did you know How? that? How did I know that? I used to watch him when I was younger. <laughs> Fred Dynage, of course, um, I've spoken to him on a few occasions about the Cray Twins. Uh, also uh, did the Cray's biography, uh, Fred Dynage. Oh. Did their very first book. Used did, to a visit crank, did a lot of crane films, didn't he, Steve? A lot of crane films. He did. Films. Yeah. Tommy oh, Boyd. Tommy Boyd. <laughs> Magpie. Tommy, Tommy Boyd. Boyd. Yeah. Bobby Dazzler. Bobby Dazzler of a jumper. That it must have been Christmas. Will Ferrell. Will Ferrell. Wasn't he on the Arsenal one as well? Now, did you like me link there? I said that was a nice yeah, Christmas jumper that Tommy Boyd had, then went in the Will Ferrell dresses. That was, that was safe, Fantastic. But, yeah, professional, that professional, I thought, yeah. <laughs> the guy in the middle. The giveaway is on the book. Yes, yes, guy. Wait, it's on the book, man. <laughs> is it Anthony by any chance? I said, yeah, the clue. I said, the clue's on the book. <laughs> <laughs> It is Andre, yeah, it looks like Andre. Oh. Oh. It's not Freddie Star, is it? It's not Freddie Star. No sign of a hamster there. No. Oh, dear me. No, I'm stuck on that one. Any clothes on his shirt? No. He's a musician. That's... Yeah. Yeah. Look Got like me, Steve, I'm afraid. Anybody? Uh, I'm, I'm always, I'm always likely to find Mitch get these ones. I always, I always had a feeling you would get this, Mitch. You do, know? Do we get a band? Is, which bands are you in the? Team? I, I, I should, but it's it. I, when you say the name, I'm going to kick myself. Yeah, um, the problem I've got is that uh, the, the link that I've actually sent myself now isn't working with the, the guy on. I'm going to have to come back to it. <laughs> generally, generally, um, I, I will get it though. Hold on, I will get it. We'll come to the. Uh, we'll come to that. We'll have to come back to that. It's the first time that's about. This guy, Arnie Schwarzenegger. Yeah, Arnold Schwarzenegger. Has that link come up? No, it hasn't, unfortunately, lads. I might have to bring that one back next week. He lived in Portsmouth. Did you know that? Yeah, I yeah, did, he lived in Portsmouth. He, he trained in Portsmouth. Okay. And this one, I'm sure she's been up for uh, numerous clubs as well, to be perfectly yeah. honest. Amanda, Amanda, Amanda Holden. Holden. I'm sure yeah, this Amanda is 
It's another the another ten another tenuous link with uh, with the players, isn't it? The right, I've got the name of that singer now, guys. It was um, Brian Howe from Bad Company. Oh. So there you go, Brian Howe from Bad Company stumped the lads this week and stumped me because the link wasn't working where I'd originally got the picture from. So there we go. Uh. Okay, players that played for both teams. Um, I, I cannot see you not getting any of these. Pav. 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 Pavel check. Uh, is it Kevin Dillon? It's not. No. Mm, this is a tricky. Now, I, did, I thought this might trick you, but I wasn't 100% sure. He didn't have, the, didn't have the longest career at Newcastle. That's why. Did he play at all for Newcastle? Now I don't know. I didn't do my research that 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 well. It looked a bit like Andy Sinton, but I'm not sure. No, it's not Andy Sinton. My gosh. No. No, got you with that one then. From Pav to Gav, it's Gavin Maguire. Mm -hmm. My goodness. Oh. Oh. Centre back, wasn't he? Yeah, did, did sign for Newcastle. I'm uh, pretty sure he played a couple of games. Maybe he's even played six or seven, I think, if I remember rightly. Is that Gary Brady? Gary Brady. Correct. Gary Brady. Yeah, I... That's Beresford. John Beresford. Couldn't find a picture of this guy in a Pompey strip. Steve Agnew. That's Steve Agnew. Agnew. Steve Agnew, of course, currently on the coaching staff at Newcastle with their... Uh, with some horrendous sideboards there, like it's got to be said. It's got, it's got more hair now. Shaka. Shaka. Looks like he's getting ready to do a bit of fencing there, doesn't he? Uh, Mickey Quinn. Mickey, Mickey Quinn. Quinn. Now we'll go. We don't mention enough of Mick Quinn, and then he gets mentioned three times on the show. That's Kevin Dillon. That's Kevin, Kevin Dillon. Dillon. Correct. He had shorter hair for us. That's. Mark Stimson. Mark Stimson. Mark Stimson. Guy on the left. Jim And last but by no means least. Luwalawa. 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 Well done, lads. So, uh, yeah, I'm quite pleased with myself there. I did manage to trick you on a couple of them. So, yeah. happy days. Okay, 11 uh, players and a manager, please. Steve Hastie, we'll come to you first. Right, I, I put uh, I put Shaka in goal. Uh, I went for uh, Griffin and Beresford at fullback, with Williamson and O'Brien in the centre. I went Gary Brady, Dylan, uh, Benny Christensen, and Lauren Robert, and I had Mickey Quinn and Lawalawar up front with Jim Smith as manager. Fantastic. Okay, Stu. I had uh, Jim Smith as manager. Uh, Pavin goal, obviously. Griffin and Bez, fullback, same as uh, Steve. I had Andy O'Brien and Saul Campbell at centre halves. Kevin Dillon and Matt Ritchie in midfield with the wide men of Luanua and Lauren Robert. And up front was Mickey Quinn, who we don't mention enough, and Mr. Andrew Cole, who I do Good. mention quite a Good stuff. Okay, Mitch, over to you. Uh, being inspired by Sam Allardyce's back five, that's what I've gone for this week. Um, <laughs> Jim Smith is the manager, Parvin Goal, three centre backs of Andy O'Brien, Benny Christensen, and Sylvan Distan. Uh, wing backs is Griffin and Beresford. Uh, midfield of Dylan, Lauren Robert, and Matt Ritchie, and Andy Cole and Mick Quinn up front. Okay, Steve Wilkinson. Yeah, my, mine was exactly the same as Stu's apart from the, the back. I had Sylvan Distan. So it's Pavan Goal, Andy Griffin and Beresford, Andy O'Brien, Sylvan Distan, Kevin Dillon and Matt Ritchie in the middle, Lamar Loire and Lauren Robert, and then Andy Cole and Mick Quinn up front and Jim Smith's manager as well. Good stuff. And last but by no means least, George, over to you, mate. Well, it's, it's, you'll see a slightly different. Age slant on me <laughs> to what the rest of the lads have done. You've got Jimmy Schooler in. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Parvid goal, I think that was a, a given uh, out of sentimental reasons, if nothing else. And the fact that he was the best goalkeeper as well. Uh, Beresford, Griffin, um, then uh, Jimmy Schooler, uh, 
Sol Campbell, Tommy Casey, another blast from the past, uh, Northern Ireland uh, left-sided midfielder uh, who tackled like a, a, a house end, a, a brick end. He, he, you could never get through Tommy Casey and a shot like a, like a cannon. Um, and then in midfield, Richie, uh, Lauren Robert, um, Wayne Routledge, um, Jimmy Schooler was in is in the house as well. Um, so, oh, Mick Quinn at number nine, Mick Quinn at number nine, and uh, Jimmy Jimmy Smith manager. Great stuff, lads. As always, fantastic show. And it, that was another difficult team. And as if uh, things couldn't get any worse, uh, Tom Dixon got in first. Our friend Tom Dixon, who supported the show for 12 months. Clearly... Send the boys around for you, Sean, I tell you. <laughs> Clearly likes to make things difficult. Wigan Athletic next week. What a... Now, I've got some great oh, stories it. about bus trips to Wigan Athletic, but nothing Me about... Nothing about the Me game because I never Me remember too. the game. <laughs> well, so so some the of mine is like, Robin or something. The Red Robin yeah. the next to Wigan. Yeah. Some yeah. of the, some of mine will be old ones when Wigan weren't in the bloody league. <laughs> yeah, many would say they wish they'd never been in the league. I think. But, uh, yeah, I'm, so, I'm, a, I'm on holiday next week, lads. <laughs> <laughs> so, so Wigan Athletic. No, Wigan Athletic. I'm getting a note the from you, Mark. We're locked down for two weeks today. Right. We're on lockdown. All right, well, it's Wigan Athletic next week, guys. Next Wednesday, so uh, great to have you on. Uh, I'm back tomorrow night, 6 o'clock till 7, with Super Mac and Gibbo. Uh, thanks very much, lads, and I'll see you next week. And I'll see you two guys for the, uh, the uh, not the three amigos, the Fab Four. Take care, yeah. good night. Cheers, good night.